Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Yeah, I show you. Watch me. Sound like one like this. Another reason to love Mike McDaniel. He was learning how to become a warrior at the Luau with Tua charity event hosted by Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Miami and the Tua Foundation. A lot of talk about the Dolphins in recent weeks for a variety of reasons. They acquired Tyreek Hill. We've talked extensively about how they could have acquired Tom Brady, how close that was to happening, at least as a member of the front office and minority owner still could happen in the future some new names in some old names out and the draft where they will with four picks this year thanks to the Tyreek Hill trade they've got a three a four and two sevens not a lot they can do in the draft they can't leave the draft without addressing what Chris well I I think probably the offensive lines the position I look at more than anything just uh, you look at the roster of the Dolphins and I think we you know we've discussed this a few times this offseason there's not a lot of places you look to go, oh, wow, they need their void, right? They're void of that position. Now, they have dressed running back a little bit here in free agency as far as getting Chase Edmonds there. Raheem Mostert came there from the 49ers as well. 
Uh, I, they could probably use another running back to add them to the overall package there. It's such an important position for that Shanahan-McDaniel offense. But I think offensive line is the one area I look at to go, no, it's probably they need you know uh, to really address that. And then after that, maybe middle linebacker or something like that. But I don't know, Mike, that's probably the one that, that jumps out to me more than any is that offensive line. I think offensive line is the key. Not that they can do much with a three or four and two sevens, but you need to do something to keep making that unit better. You've got the weapons. You want to make it as easy as you can on Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback. So I agree with you. Offensive line is an area that they have to address with those four picks that they have. The Buffalo Bills, who have the 25th overall pick in the draft, they cannot leave draft weekend without addressing what, Chris? Well, I, I would look at them more and go, okay, they they first round pass rusher last year. They're okay there. You know, I, you know, defensive tackle. They're pretty good there. They're a team that I'm a little like O line. I think is one area I look at to go. Yeah, they could probably improve that unit there overall. But I also can get in the conversation of corner with the Buffalo Bills too. I think that would be the other one I'd look at. You know, specifically, again, I think against some of the higher octane offenses in, in the AFC and the way it's set up right now, the Bills are not great at man-to-man coverage. They don't have those type of guys. We saw that the speed of the Kansas City Chiefs receivers and that gave them issues. We've heard McDermott and company talk about their team speed a little bit and on the defensive side of the ball especially. A wide receiver, uh, I think they're good there. They got the Von Miller. You know, I, I look at that, I think, as maybe O-line, but corner. Those two positions, Mike. Any other ones that jump out to you? Well, I look at running back. You see yeah, they added too. Duke Johnson. But remember, they wanted J.D. McKissick. They had right. a verbal deal with J.D. McKissick, and he backed out and stayed in Washington. Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, they just haven't gotten what – they need when you've got Josh Allen and that passing game that should give you better opportunities to run the football Definitely. I think they need a little more of that balance there may be some of these games they get in one of these shootouts and maybe there's going to be moments where you want to kind of slow it down you want to keep the other offense off the field for a little bit give your defense a little bit of a rest you don't always want to get in this ping pong match that's just rapid fire back and forth and if you can slip out of your your highest possible gear and control the clock a little bit against a chiefs team. Maybe that, that will help you Yeah, end up scoring more yeah. points than they do at the end of regulation or overtime as the case may be. So I think that just the mere fact they tried to get McKissick and failed, they have to at least be thinking not with the 25th pick necessarily, but yeah, just to add to their they're not happy with their current stable of running back, so they wouldn't have tried to get J.D. McKissick. Right. I guess that's my point. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right there. They needed another guy, too, for hey, if Devin Singletary gets hurt. We need another guy that can run that part of our offense. So I think that's where they like Duke Johnson. You know, Duke Johnson, he's got some talent. There's no question. But I think you're right, too. That's It's a need. It's not gonna, I doubt it happens at 25 like you're talking about. But it is something because Zach Moss has not exactly been dependable for them to where you'd like to see them have another influence or something of that true between-the-tackles type runner there. Um, but, yeah, for the Bills, as good as they are, there's, there's a few holes that, that pop up when you think about them. New England Patriots, 25th, 21st excuse me, overall pick in the draft. They can't leave this upcoming draft weekend without 
addressing what? Chris? I, I think the there's two positions I come to with them. More receiver one. That's the first thing. Again, I like you know the receiving core they have. I, I'd love to see them get a guy that's a real difference maker though, like a guy that we've talked about earlier in the show that scares a defense that. You know, actually makes them have to play defenses they don't want to play to open up other things. You know, make life a little easier on Mac Jones to where it opens the field up and you guys don't always have to jam in eight and ten yard completions all the time. I think it's that. You know, I also look at like the middle linebacker position as maybe being something they could address. Dante Hightower, you know, it's it's getting up there in age there. Uh, so th- that's another area I look at very important to that defense overall. But I, I feel like speed-wide receiver, and I'm not sure that's going to happen at 21st overall, but maybe in the second because there's a million receivers in this draft that they need somebody like that that's a little bit of a game-breaker. I think they definitely need to address the cornerback position. I remember a year ago we just assumed between Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson one would stay. Yeah. Both are gone. Both are gone. And maybe it's a testament to the defense, but still, you need guys. To the extent that they have a hard time drafting and developing receivers, they apparently do a good t- a good job of drafting or signing as undrafted free agents, cornerbacks, yeah, and developing them. Do. That needs to be replenished, don't you think? I, I, both those guys gone. They're starters from week one last year. Well, Gilmore never – I mean, he would have been a starter, but he, yeah. was, he was injured – but their top two corners going into last season are now gone. You got to address that somehow. I would think so. And uh, again, there, there's there's a lot of good corners to be had in this draft as well. Uh, though I get, I think the thing that I've uh, the only reason I didn't throw that out there because Mike, you're you're right in the thought of needing that is I am a little bit of like just you know connecting dots. Going, I wonder if they they're changing their philosophy a little bit about how they feel in the corner position. I, I do wonder that last year. I thought they played more zone in New England than I can remember in quite some time. And it made me start thinking, well, maybe they're like, you know, changing their thought and how they want to play. They have a ton of DBs and they seem to be doing it a little bit more with, you know, a mixing and matching of personnel and how we want to play it that way. So I, I do wonder what they're where they're going. But yes, like normal history would tell you that you know, to your point, they would want that guy that can be a lockdown corner at one spot, and then they can do some crazy stuff on the other side of the field. And they're in a, a spot where we're not used to the Patriots being. I mean, depending upon how the first 20 selections go, they could have an opportunity to trade out of 21. It just depends on who's left. Once the first 20 picks are gone, who's there at 21? And is there a team that really loves the guy who didn't get picked in the first 20 selections who would be willing to make a jump up, and the Patriots get more, more lottery tickets, more opportunities to find guys that maybe fit their system, fit their approach, who aren't highly coveted. I I wouldn't be surprised. You know, for every team that wants to move up, a team's got to move down. And we got eight teams that have no first-round pick. We've got eight teams that have multiple first-round picks. That, to me, the 20s, the early 20s, could be a spot where somebody who's not in the first round who has a guy they really love could try to try to jump back in. And I, I would see the Patriots more than willing to do it, Chris. I, I, I could too. I, there's no question. Um, uh, the, they're always that team that, again, if the, the how their board doesn't match up with the value of the pick at 21, they'll, they'll trade down in a heartbeat. They were the masters of that for a long, long time and accumulating those second and third and fourth round picks there. 
Um, so it, it'll be interesting. But to your point, I think there'll be some good corners there to be had. Now, I don't know if they're looking at offensive line at all. It's something I question, too. That's the hardest thing about a guy in my position is I don't have a feel always for the guys that are coming up the ranks, the backups, right? How do they feel about them? You know, you be, that's one position where, hey, the fifth round, you go, oh, he's a, they drafted a fifth rounder two years ago. I don't know how good he can be, but they've seen him practice and do all that, and they go, well, the guy's good. He's getting better and better. He's going to be a starter. That's the one thing that's hard to figure out as an evaluator of the draft and all that. But um, 21, not a bad spot in this draft. There's, there's a lot of depth in this draft at certain positions, and whether they trade out or decide to stay there, there should be a player to address some of their needs for sure. The New York Jets are in great spot. They have the fourth pick. They have the 10th pick as the final installment of the Jamal Adams trade. They also have the 35th and the 38th. They've got two picks in round four, two picks in round five. Now, some of those picks may get traded away for a game-breaking receiver before they're actually used, but the Jets can't leave the draft without addressing what, Chris? I think the edge, the pass rusher. This is Robert Sala. He's a defensive coordinator. He got to the Super Bowl because he had an unbelievable defensive line and the ability to rush for and get to every quarterback in football for the most part, even Patrick Mahomes for the whole game except for the last four and a half minutes. Uh, so that's where I look at it. Shaq Lawson, he uh, not Shaq Lawson, Carl Lawson, excuse me, a guy they paid a lot of money to, had an injury last year. So what, how much can you depend on him being a superstar takeover type of guy? I got to think that with one of those – First round picks they got there, right? Um, and what did you say? It was four and ten, right? Four and right? ten, right? Man, Mike, pass rushers. There's, there's, there's four that I think are worthy of of being top ten, top twelve, top fifteen picks. I really do. So they should be able to get a guy that can come off the edge and get after the quarterback. Yeah. Um, Look, they, they need to come out of the weekend with a receiver they feel really good about because it's obvious they're interested in that. And yeah. this is part of the development of Zach Wilson, the Definitely. second overall pick last year. And, you know, the other side of it, too, Joe Douglas needs to hit a home run or two, whether it's by trade or whether it's by drafting somebody who comes in and makes an impact right away because there's still a sense this team is caught in in quicksand and can't get out. I last know. year was not good. Um, you know, you had flashes, but but it wasn't anything close. I, I remember going into last year thinking if they could just get six or seven wins and lay the foundation to be competitive next year, that would be a good year for the Jets. And you look at the AFC, there's 13 contenders, and the three non-contenders are the Jets, Texans, and Jaguars. I don't know that the Jets can crash that party this year. No, They got to start doing something, though, because Woody Johnson's back. He's been back for over a year. He was gone when they hired Joe Douglas at some point. And we've seen it. We've seen it when Woody was running the team. He'll keep the coach and fire the GM. He'll keep the GM and fire the coach. He'll fire both of them. He's trying as best he possibly can to make the team better. And if Joe Douglas isn't getting it done, then he's gone. Now, I, I think that they'll give him this year, but I won't be surprised if after this year, Woody Johnson said, you know, if they're 4-13, if they're 3-14, and, and we aren't seeing Zach Wilson show us signs that he's going to become a superstar, I could see them changing GM. So there's a lot riding on what they get out of these picks. And, Chris, to the extent that Joe Douglas is feeling the heat, if you flip a couple of picks for a proven player, 
that that eliminates some of the risk. Sure, that you're going to draft somebody who doesn't come in and get it done for you. No, no question. We talk about that a lot. The proven commodity certainly has a lot of great value there. Uh, the Jets, they're they're. You, I mean, you're saying things right. I mean, we never know in the NFL the way the things are. I mean, yeah, the Jets. I think you're right. There's a little bit of that perception out there. I'm one to where I'd want people to go, wait, wait, this is what I do for a living, and I like study this stuff all the time, and I really think the Jets are going in the right direction. I really do. You know, again, I think the thing that people need to remember about last year, too, is the Jets were one of the more injured teams in all of football last year. You know, We talked about Carlos, Carl Lawson, Marcus May, LaMarcus Joyner, E.J. Mosley, Jerron Re- I mean, uh, uh, the, the middle linebacker from – he went J- Jared Davis. I mean, it was it's, – it's, you know, Makai Becton, we get into that. Michael Carter Jr., the, he gets hurt. Elijah Moore, the second-round pick, he got hurt. For, they dealt with a lot of stuff there. You know, so – but you're right. There needs to be that splash moment that everybody gets everybody – the perception changed a little bit. You know, again, Lakin Tomlinson, great guard, free agency this year. It's not a huge splash, but like things that are going to make this team good. Elijah Vera Tucker, their first round pick from last year, along with Zach Wilson. Man, I like that. So there's some things there to like for sure. But uh, I don't disagree with you in the fact that there hasn't been that moment yet that seems to totally sway the the tide or whatever to everybody just go, oh wow, wait, the Jets are doing crazy things, and maybe one of these trades would would you know appeal to the Jets fan base to, to back them off that a little bit. Some Deshaun Watson news when we continue with this Monday edition of PFT Live, including when trials may happen and what's in his contract that would protect the Browns in the event of a suspension. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There was an item that I noticed over the weekend in the Cleveland Plain dealer. Based upon some court filings, they have determined that there's an agreement among the lawyers that the trials of the 22 lawsuits pending against Deshaun Watson will not happen between August of 2022 and March 1 of 2023. There's a chance that there'll be a trial in July. Now, I can't imagine that Deshaun Watson would want to try all 22 of these together because, number one, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, and number two, it's going to be pretty difficult to get 22 plaintiffs to be disregarded by a jury. We've talked about that. There's a critical mass between 1 and 22 where it's too many to not think there's something there. And a jury, I could see, think, well, there's 22 of them. There must be something there. So uh, I think it would be one trial at a time, and maybe they can get one done in July, but you're talking about a process that begins next year after the season ends, and we're talking about 22 trials. I said this before. If you do one a week, it takes six months to do all of these. So, you know, Chris, bottom line, they just got to settle. They got to find a way to get everyone on the same page, find a middle ground, and move on. 18 cases were ready to settle in late October when Deshaun Watson was trying to get the cases settled so he could be traded to the Dolphins. There were four holdouts. 
settle the 18, focus on the four. But the idea that there's going to be 20 trials, it's just not practical, especially if you're going to carve out the entirety of football season and have nothing happen by way of trials during those months. I, I mean, it's so it all seems crazy. Uh, it, it really does. Yeah, 22 trials, and you said that. You know, again, I'd, I'd love to know the thought process. I'm with you in the fact that I think you just need to get this done you know, and get it, you know, get it out of the press, get it out of the public eye and move on for your, for your, your, yourself and for the organization and even for the Cleveland football fan. I think it's, you know, it's the greater good, but that's easier said than done when we're not the guy there that doesn't want his name attached to these things. And he apparently doesn't think he's guilty of a lot of these things or any of them for, for that matter. So that's where it's really tough. What I don't get, Mike, is why would Busby let him off the hook? And why would they say you don't have to do it during football season? Like, why wouldn't you, if you're Tony Busby, want to make life hard on the guy and do it during football season? How how does that shake out or go down? I'm surprised that Tony Busby was willing to agree to that. I don't know what he got in return for that agreement, but that's a way to put real settlement pressure on Deshaun Watson. If you're going to force him to come back to Houston – during football season for trials of these cases, that's going to be a major distraction for him. And it's one thing if he's playing for the Texans and a local judge elected by Texans fans issues a ruling that creates a distraction for Deshaun Watson. Now it doesn't matter. Now, you know, hey, sorry, a lot of people have jobs, Mr. Watson, that are necessarily going to be disrupted by a trial in their case. You're not entitled to any exemption or exception for the fact that your job only happens four to five months out of the year. People who have jobs that don't stop have to figure out how they're going to deal with these issues. And and yeah, if you're a judge that wants to push the cases towards settlement, that's another thing that you can do. You schedule trials in September, October, November, and December of 2022. So I am surprised that Busby agreed to that. But anytime I see an agreement like that, I assume there's a quid pro quo. There had to have been something that Busby got in order to give up the opportunity to push these to trial. But, you know, I mean, here's the bottom line. And we're going to talk about the contract in a moment. But at some point, you got to get these cases done. At some point, this case has to be over. At some point, the dark cloud has to move away from Deshaun Watson and the Browns. I've said from the moment they traded for him, he needs to settle these cases. Browns fans don't deserve to have this weight on their fandom. It needs to be gone. It needs to be over. It needs to be done. And this story from the weekend about when these cases are going to happen. So if you're a Browns fan, you got you to deal with this distraction to you being a fan of the team and fully embracing Deshaun Watson possibly for all of 2022 and deep into 2023. I just think out of respect to the fans, setting aside all other issues relevant to this, and there are many, out of basic respect to the fans of the team for which Deshaun Watson now plays and will make $230 million over the next five years, it's another reason to make these cases go away. I agree with you there. I agree. It's 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 better for everybody, a hundred percent. And yes, it definitely would, you know, calm ease the pain maybe of the Cleveland fan base a little bit. Uh, to me, again, even with that, it just if if you wait till next year after the season, it just seems like there there's just 
more chances for stuff to come out during the season and, and continue or add on to the black cloud that you're talking about hovering over there. So uh, I don't know. And then, Mike, what, what if, if this is all put off till after the year, right, and there's no settlement or nothing, no judgment, anything, anything here, well, and do, you, do you still think the NFL is going to let them play this year? Or do you think they step in even though this stuff isn't resolved and go, well, we don't care that it's not resolved. You're going to have to do this. You know, you're going to have to pay your dues and get suspended right now. How do you think that shakes out? One thing that became clear a couple of weeks ago when the commissioner spoke to reporters at the meetings in Florida, paid leave does not seem like it's on the table. If they're going to do anything, they're going to suspend him going into the 2022 season. And I could see a situation where they impose a suspension based upon what they know and they leave the door open for possible further action based upon what the verdicts are in these cases. If he goes 0 for 22, and there's a verdict that is significant in one or more of those cases, they may feel compelled to take further action. So I could see that they kind of did that with Antonio Brown, not really, but they did leave his case open pending the outcome of one lawsuit that was filed against him alleging sexual assault and rape. So that's what I think will happen Maybe a short-term suspension, six games, four games to start this year with the possibility of more later. And by the way, you can read the story at PFT. When Deshaun Watson was introduced as a member of the Browns, Andrew Barry, the GM of the team, said there are typical club protections in the contract in the event of a suspension. That's not true. We've got the full story on what the exception to the club protections are. And the key is this. After 2023, those exceptions go away. So if you're Deshaun Watson, you want your suspension to happen this year or next year. If it happens in 2024 and it's just not working and we, you know, we regret giving him all this money and he's not the quarterback that we thought he was going to be, they get a suspension in 24. That's the, the easy out for the Browns to cancel the rest of the guarantees and move on from him if, if we get to that point. But that's the key. The suspensions in 22 or 23 are exceptions to the standard language that would otherwise allow the Browns to get back signing bonus money or wipe out guarantees. We're going to take a break when we return. The USFL debuts this weekend, and they could be using some technology that is long overdue for the National Football League. More PFT Live right after this. USFL had a preseason game this weekend. Philadelphia Stars against the Michigan Panthers. All games will be played, though, in Birmingham until the postseason. And they're using, uh-oh, uh-oh, NFL, time to bust open the piggy bank and use the digital technologies to determine the first down. There's been It's been around for a long time. But you know what, Chris? One of the reasons the NFL doesn't do it, there's a chapter in Playmakers about it devoted to the notorious index card incident although it wasn't an index card it was it was a, a, a like a piece of thick paper that Gene Steratore folded over to determine whether or not the football had gotten to the orange stick for a first down the NFL likes that moment of drama when the chains come out they put them down line judge grabs the pole and you pull it and you put it down on the ground the NFL likes that. As low tech as it gets, 10 yards of chain link that is as imperfect as you can imagine, but they love that moment. That's one of the reasons why they haven't embraced technology. Oh, and also it costs money, and we know how cheap they are. Sorry, but we know you are. 
We know you're cheap. You need to have the money for your super yacht maintenance fund. I get it. But between being cheap and loving that drama, that's why the NFL hasn't done it. We'll see how people react to the USFL system because we're removing the drama, but we are adding a high degree of precision that we currently don't have in the NFL. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. I really am. I'm interested to see if the technology is foolproof and kind of exact. I, I am interested. I, 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 that that, that I, I guess I got to see it to really believe it or feel comfortable with it. Uh, I, I know, yeah, it seems the easy way out. You would think we'd have this technology and it'd be very easy. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand why. I mean, the NFL, yes, I'm sure they love those theatrics, but it's just – it's old, it's slow, and one of the other things about the unintended consequences of good things that I think gambling is going to bring to the NFL is hopefully end stupid crap like that to where we're not just uh, let me, let's rely on the uh, 64-year-old guy's eyes who was actually seven yards behind the play and trying to run and keep up and have him spot the ball to uh, affect our whole lives and whether we go to the Super Bowl. Like, come on. I mean, really. We talk about Sky Judge, which we're getting there, and all these other things. Like, this is, to me, what you would want to do to protect the sport, the integrity of it, and I would hope it goes there at some point. I remember a game in 1996. This is back when I was full-fledged fan, not in the business. My son had been born a few months earlier. I was on babysitting duty, and it was Vikings-Broncos. John Elway was playing quarterback for the Broncos that's how long ago it was and there was a key fourth down late in the game and the the official who had the the spot and that's always the big thing I got the spot I know the spot the official had his foot on the ground and he was trying to hold the spot with one foot on the ground right and kind of hopped a little bit yeah and moved right and that became the spot yeah. after he lost his balance a right. little bit right and it was just enough to get the first down. And they actually locked into that in the broadcast saying, hey, the Vikings really got screwed here because this guy's hopping around on one leg and he's trying to hold the spot and his foot moves and they get the first down and they win the game. I remember being so pissed about that, but that's what you get when you go low tech, when you rely upon human beings in various different ways to determine this 10-yard measurement instead of the the laser-based system that the USFL would use. And there, there it is. There's Gene Steratore, and he's got the index card, and everybody's coming to look. And, hey, look, I have an I have an idea. There it is. I don't understand how he determined it was a first down because if there's room for the card, he gets a little slap on the ass from Jason Witten. If there's room for the card to get between the ball and the tip, then you didn't get there. And that's the other thing about, you know, if you move a little bit this way, it's a first down. You go this way, I no know. first down. That, that's this the way, other part. It's a first the down. Tilting of the it's pole. not always 90 degrees. Yes, I, I, I know. I, it, it seems crazy that, that, that this is, you know, the way we do it. But hopefully it gets fixed. Hopefully the USFL can show the NFL the way, and hopefully this really works. I mean, one thing I know just after seeing that clip, man, those are some ugly-ass uniforms they're wearing over there in that league so far. Those two, it's 0 for 2. They struck out there. Whoa. Holy crap. <laughs> Sorry. But, but they brought back the eight teams or eight of the teams that played in the USFL. Yes. Um, 
what was I going to say? Oh, game of inches. That's the thing. They call it a game of inches. The problem is the inches are measured, you know, with all the precision of uh, a drunk trying to get up the stairs to his bedroom after a long night at the bar. I mean, that's the problem. I don't care that it's a game of inches. How are you measuring those inches? Not with the kind of exactness that you need. Let's take a break. With all the trade speculation swirling around, folks like Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, and A.J. Brown, we're going to draft the best receivers from the 2019 draft, which had plenty of them. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. There are the first 10 receivers taken in the 2019 NFL Draft. A lot of those names now making news because they are due for new contracts. Will they have new teams before they get their new contracts? We're going to draft today the best receivers from the 2019 draft. So it's a draft of a draft of a draft of a draft. Here's a question for Chris to determine the first pick in this draft of the draft of the best receivers from 2019. Which receiver, Christopher, from the 2019 draft has the most career receiving yards? Ooh, that's a good one here. I, I, I um... I think that it's not DK. I know that, and I don't. It's not Debo Samuel. It, it, to me, it's going to be between AJ Brown and Terry McLaurin, and I'm going to go with McLaurin as the sleeper here. Is it AJ Brown? DK Metcalf. It DK is DK. Metcalf. Damn. Thirty-one seventy. He's eighty yards ahead of Terry. McLaurin. All Ooh, right, okay. first pick for me, and maybe this is recency bias, but we spent so much time talking about Debo earlier, and this is close. This is close, but when you throw in the receiver skills with the running back skills and that toughness, what he does with the ball in his hands, the way the 49ers use him, Debo Samuel is my is my pick uh, because I think he's the guy who right now is the most dangerous of the bunch. He may not play the longest if he keeps playing like he is, but he's the most dangerous of the bunch. I agree with you there. Uh, I mean, he's arguably the best receiver in football. I mean, all you got to do is really just look at these highlights and just go, well, I mean, look at how much he makes out of nothing all the time. Or not nothing, or how much more he makes of the situation in general. Where it's like, oh, that's going to be a 10-yard completion. What? Oh, it was actually a 50-yard touchdown. Oh, this is going to be a 7-yard run. Oh, wait, it was a 40-yard touchdown. Uh, I'm with you. I would have picked. Uh, I got caught in a yawn. I got caught in a yawn. Good. I thought I was covered by Good. B-roll. Damn Good. it. Yeah, get him. Not that I'm bored. Not that yeah. I'm bored. Right. No, you're a little bit. No. Oh, geez. I'm tired. I'm, yeah. Well, that's what you usually. No. You're tired. You look tired. You're probably texting somebody else. And usually, not even I am. To I am. I'm of texting direction are. to the folks at PFT. I yeah. was pointing out uh, something in response to a text I got. But yeah, I got caught in a yawn. Sorry yeah. About right. That. Right. And tell your, your friends pick. at PFT to screw off when we're doing a show. Okay. Your pick. All right. A- I got a business to run. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can do it after the show. Thank you. AJ Brown will be my next one. I'm going to go with AJ Brown. To me, he's he's the closest to Debo Samuel and the fact of. You know, being able to take a slant route and break a tackle and run for 80 yards for a touchdown. You know, but also to me has a better ability than Debo to beat people down the field, you know, post corner 60 yard pass or just a post route, you know, 80 yards down the middle. He's a little bit more dangerous that way than Debo Samuel is. But just like Debo Samuel, a freak of nature. I mean, runs routes, weapon. And is truly, you know, one of the best receivers in football for my money. Yeah, boy, that I'm surprised you go AJ Brown. Look, I got no doubts that AJ Brown is great, but DK Metcalf, to me, they're just scratching the surface on what he can be. We've complained multiple times about how the Seahawks use him or don't use him. 
I think he could be Debo Samuel. Could you imagine what your guy Kyle Shanahan would do if he had DK Metcalf yeah, on well, the roster? Sure. I mean, well, these, these three guys we're talking about here, they're they're not that different from each other. They're all like chiseled granite, just absolute freaky people who are extremely explosive to where I really think all three guys, you're, you could almost say, you put them with Shanahan and do all that, and they're going to all do the freaky stuff you're talking about to a degree. Debo more, I mean, DK has a little bit more of a size factor, you know, to him. Maybe can't accelerate like the other two, but man, this is still like, to your point, this is a, a man amongst boys for the most part. He's a superhero. I mean, he should just wear a cape everywhere he goes, shouldn't he? <laughs> he, he is. I, I, I wouldn't forget the cape. I mean, screw it. Just don't wear a shirt or a cape. I, that'll be enough. If he walks in the room with no shirt on, everybody's going to be like, Superman's here. Save the day. Uh, I wouldn't wear anything up top if I had his body. Remember when uh, uh, he walked into the Seahawks draft room? Yes, right. Pete Carroll took took his shirt off. No doubt. The last thing you're going to do is take your shirt off when DK Metcalf is in the room shirtless. I mean, that's it's 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 already gutsy enough. And Pete Carroll surprisingly pulled it off pretty well for a guy who was 67 or so at the time. But not with DK Metcalf around. That's for sure. All right. Next pick for you. Um, oh, it's my pick again. Sorry. I'm, I'm sitting here waxing so poetically about your own pick. I'm going, oh, yeah, that's a great pick. Uh, Terry McLaurin. That's the next one I'm going to go with here. Uh, McLaurin, first off, you know, 4'3", four, 4'2"-ish four, type speed. One of the most, you know, explosive receivers as far as you know, taking the top off of defense, go routes. But even for a guy that maybe is not as physically as big and thick as some of the other quarterbacks we talked about, man, he's still... Phenomenal over the middle. We know he's making big plays, yards after catch. Uh, he's he's a game breaking type receiver. I mean, he's fourth in this class, but that's not to say that's not saying or not a bad thing. I mean, he's he's one of these weapons as well. Just doesn't quite have the physical size that these other guys have. But man, this is a, a game breaking receiver for sure. Big plays for sure. At some point within the past year, we got to the point where we talked so much early in the show that we can't do the draft in one segment. We have to break it up. So now that we finish watching these awesome Terry McLaurin highlights as we try to figure out whether he's going to get his contract or move on, we move on. We'll do round three of our best receivers from the 2019 draft when Fiat Lock continues right after this. All right, the best receivers from the 2019 draft class. We've gone through two rounds. I am up in round three, and I am going to take, and this may surprise you, Chris, because there's a lot of great receivers in that draft class, a lot of them. I'm taking Hunter Renfro here for for one very important reason. Well, two. Last year, he was targeted 128 times, had 103 catches for over 1,000 yards. This year, he's got Devontae Adams. He's got Josh McDaniels. I think Renfro is going to take another step forward. I think Renfro is going to get more catches, more targets, more yards, more everything in his fourth NFL season as he develops into this kind of Julian Edelman presence for the Raiders because I think that's how Josh McDaniels is going to use him. Yeah, I I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, he's got a, a niche or a role that is very valuable in the NFL, especially to good offensive coordinators who really understand – how to use that slot receiver. So, I, I mean, I get it from that standpoint. I do. I mean, he's a really good football player. He's smart. He's got more physical gifts than people want to give him credit for. I think that's the thing that, you know, people got to remember. I think sometimes people just look at the guy and they go, well, how good can he really be? So, no, the guy is extremely quick and can get out of breaks like like no other. All right. I think I'm, 
I don't know. I'm stuck between Deontay Johnson and I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go Deontay Johnson over Hollywood Brown. That's what I'm gonna do here. I'm a I'm a Deontay Johnson fan. I think he's one of the best route runners in football. You know, he's a little bit bigger of a man than Hollywood Brown and has every bit you know the speed and big play ability. Just again, has been in kind of a dink and dunk offense that maybe doesn't give him the ability to show everything he has there. So I'll go with Deontay Johnson. I think he's a uh, really damn good wide receiver. By the way, off-season workouts begin today in Denver, Houston, Jacksonville, Las Vegas, Minnesota, and Tampa Bay. More and more teams getting it started as they prepare for 2022. We're out of time. We'll see you tomorrow morning. See ya. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. <laughs>